Amen. Give it up for Todd Kennedy. I love that. He had his hands ready to receive. It is a good thing. So I hope you all are doing well. This is the second week of Advent, and I'm very eager to celebrate with you in this season of the life of the church. Uh, Advent is a season that's about marking God's uh, coming kingdom. We celebrate that because he came as a baby and also because he's coming back, and we are eagerly anticipating this. Uh, Around two years ago, I was eagerly anticipating, of course, Jesus and Advent, but something uh, even more real, to be honest, at that point in my life. Tina was pregnant with our little daughter, our youngest, Joy, uh, and on December 14th, indeed, uh, 2019, this little one came into the world, and it was a beautiful occasion. Um, Very, very happy moment. Um, Tina's like, I didn't know I was going to have that picture. Sorry. (laughs) There were other ones I did not pick. This one's better. Um, And uh, that was great. Uh, But there's some more to this story. I'll share part of it now and part of it later. Um, In this story, uh, we were having some some great times as a family for a number of hours. And then all of a sudden, we had a nurse, a doctor. When these things happen, you never really know who the person was. You just know what they said. They said, hey, we're going to have to take your baby uh, because we have to just observe some things going on with breathing and with the heart. Um, and so we're going to just scoot her out of the room. Dad, do you want to come? Uh, Mom, you've got to stay in this room. And so I went with Joy, just um, hours old. And I was there uh, in the kind of observation room. There were other babies, maybe like one or two other parents. Uh, but it was mostly a quiet place. Um, and I was just kind of connecting with my young daughter, holding her hand through glass and uh, just wondering what was going on. Around that time, you know, you can hear announcements kind of all over the, the hospital radio, and I hear something that says, uh, or I, I see people, and they say, uh, should we tell him? And they look at me. I'm like, this, that's a little strange. I'm like thinking like, okay, that, that's probably about me. I look at my phone, and it's uh, two of our friends who were present during the birth saying, Josh, you've got to come back to the room. Tina fainted. So I, I rush back, I leave Joy, can't take her with me, otherwise I would have, that probably would have scared them. So I go back, and there's probably around 20 people, don't think I'm exaggerating, uh, all the way kind of around different places, uh, getting Tina and picking her up. And Tina, if you know my wife, is like laughing, just like, whoo, that was crazy. I'm like, wait, what happened? Like, this doesn't make sense. I'm still trying to like understand. They said, oh, something happened with Tina, she'll be okay, we're just monitoring her now. So all of a sudden, in a matter of hours, I went from like this happy moment to now they're monitoring my wife, like Joy's in the other room, they're monitoring her. And then uh, as soon as I kind of am ready to go back, they're like, hey, we actually have to take her from the observation room into the NICU, uh, that intensive care unit for small babies. And so Tina was doing all right. Now my other lady is not doing as well, Joy. And I'm stressed and frustrated. I'm feeling uh, a lot of things. We'll return to that story a little bit later. This is uh, Joy strapped up with all the little medical doohickeys and gadgets, not the sight you want to see as you're just bringing uh, this baby into the world. Coming into the world is vulnerable. Ask anyone who's been pregnant or trying to get pregnant. Um, Ask anyone who's taking care of a little one. It's a vulnerable thing to have a baby. But it's also vulnerable, if we're honest, just to be alive, just to go through life. There's a lot of vulnerabilities attached to that. During this Advent, the season where we mark the Word made flesh, 
part of what we celebrate is this coming of God in the human form as a baby. God deciding to become human in all the frailty, all the chaos, and yes, all the vulnerability. In the incarnation, God decides to be vulnerable, but the question is, why? We're going to be tackling that question today. God decides to be vulnerable, coming as a human baby, but why does he do it? John famously writes about this in his gospel, one of the disciples of Jesus. He calls Jesus the Word and says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. You might be asking why God coming into his own world is vulnerable. After all, God's powerful, God's mighty, God's strong. And given that his light must be strong, God created the world and all the people in it. His light's the light of all mankind. Why would that God be vulnerable then? Why would that God feel sometime like us, vulnerable? Well, we have to get a bigger sense of God's story to understand why this is so vulnerable. After all, God didn't first decide to be vulnerable when he came to earth in the form of a baby. Instead, God's relationship with humanity has long been marred, marked by frailty, by vulnerability. In the beginning, God created the universe and humanity to live in harmony and peace. And then humanity rebelled against him and chaos erupted in the world. God did forge family out of chaos, but that same family turned against one another, taking one another's very lives. God gave favor to people who said they worshipped him, and he rescued them from bondage, from actual slavery in Egypt. But then they worshipped another God they made and voluntarily became enslaved to idols and to idolatry. God then reluctantly anointed kings. The people disobeyed. The kings disobeyed. The nation God built divided, and it tore itself apart. God spoke. Few listened. Prophets spoke. Few listened. God cried out for justice, for a humbling of his people he created, and for a Messiah— one who will rescue. Many ignored these calls. And then, one day, one season of God being with people, after angelic visitations, after unexpected pregnancies, yes, y'all, this is the Bible, shepherds and wise men, all kinds of animals, and that one little baby in the manger from a long, long time ago, then, God became human. God moved into the neighborhood, as it says in the message version of John's introduction. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. This isn't a new neighbor, though. 
It's the one humanity has already ignored time and time again. Wait, new phone? Who dis? Oh, it's Jesus? Because if you're God, like, I've already picked up this before. Like, no, like, I'm going to put you on the do not call list. Bye, it's okay. This isn't a new neighbor. It's God, just as a baby. Are you starting to see how this would be a little vulnerable for God? This is a little awkward. You guys have rejected me before. Now I'm, I'm a baby. He's coming into this world of humanity that's been blocking God, that's been screening his calls when the incarnation happens. God becoming human in the form of a baby. God learned he couldn't fully trust humanity when he was a booming voice in the sky, a fire that could not be consumed, one who anointed kings and brought kingdoms down, one who was a creator in a perfect garden with perfect people until it wasn't so perfect anymore. That same God now has to trust humanity as he is in the form of a baby. This is ridiculous vulnerability to me. And you can see babies are vulnerable. I don't know how I found this picture, how I was like so blessed to find this picture, but I'm like, wait, what are like these babies? I'm usually a fan of doing like a multicultural baby shot, like we're a multicultural church, but I'm not sure all the ethnicities here, but just the babies in tubs was like, I needed to do this. This is a vulnerable shot. And we actually have like a live baby that's gonna come up, Tyrese's gonna come up with Johanna. Babies indeed are vulnerable. We can tell from the picture, we can also tell from this one right here. Tyrese, you're, you're going too fast. This baby's vulnerable, you gotta slow down a little bit. But look at this little one. Oh, that was, oh, you guys are good. Look at how tiny she is. How small, okay, we're gonna get the Lion King, I think, we're gonna do it. Here it is. So, even in this moment of like, like, that's great, right? It's still pretty vulnerable to be a baby at the beginning. They need constant attention, right? Is that, is that right? They do, 24-7. 24-7, this man says. And the only thing they can really do to alert you to their needs is what? Cry. Just to cry. To cry out. Everyone, round of applause for Tyrese and Johanna. <laughs> Woo! See, now he's moving slowly. He's like, Josh, like the pastor called me out. I'm going to slowly walk back. The only thing they can really do to alert you to their needs is cry. That's God's only move when he becomes a baby. I mean, I guess there's a few other moves that babies have. We won't mention them right now, but, like, it's really just to cry. And that's what our God does. We can see here that God indeed is vulnerable. He's been vulnerable. But why is God becoming vulnerable? That's our question. What if God's increasing vulnerability is because he actually recognizes that we are vulnerable too? What if God's increasing vulnerability is actually because of our own? From the moment we come out of our mother's womb, we are extremely vulnerable. Remember, the only thing we can do to alert people to our needs is to cry. We just, we just talked about that. We are vulnerable. We constantly watch either superhero movies or tell heroic fables across time, or we put our happiness or hope in the handfuls of just a few people while we ignore our internal longing for a Messiah. Even though we feel a call for justice in our hearts, we still somehow add to the problems of the world instead of taking them away. We ignore godly truth-tellers and we embrace falsehood. 
We act as if God cannot speak. That's too weird, too supernatural. And then we listen to far more destructive voices inside and out. We tear apart other tribes and people. We isolate ourselves. Our rulers often take advantage of us. And we often work around their rules. We have been freed from slavery by God. But we so willingly, so easily follow other masters, sometimes of our own making. We know sometimes we can be family to God and to one another. But we seem to have a streak of drifting, of going our own way, causing division and conflict in our wake. Even though we are created beings, we act as if we're the masters, the creators of our own lives. What then is incarnation to us, especially if in our weakness we have often rejected God? I think the incarnation is God choosing vulnerability to meet us in our own vulnerability. Sometimes even because of our own mistakes, oftentimes because of our own mistakes, our own sin, the way that we choose against God, that's part of why God's been running towards us, because he cares for us, he loves us. God is made vulnerable because he cares for us enough to come in the form of human flesh, this little baby. That's how much he loves us, and he's willing to do that. Just like, you know how much I want to say right now, and all I can do is cry? Man, I love these guys. We are vulnerable because we don't know that the life of Jesus is, as Scripture says, the light of all humanity. We are vulnerable because we don't often recognize God, whether he's a baby, whether he's a voice, the creator of the world, the keeper of our very souls. It's often just easy for us not to recognize who God is. And you know what? God's moved by that vulnerability. He's moved by our situation. He's moved by the tough spot that we're in. And he chooses to move into our neighborhood as this little baby Jesus. God's cry for justice through the prophets didn't really work. So now he's trying the cry of just being a newborn. How will we respond? How will we respond to this creative, beautiful, intentional move that God makes to say, I'm actually just going to try to be with them this time. If I can just walk amongst them eventually, because right now he's not even crawling, but soon, if I can just do that, would that make the difference? How will we respond? This is vulnerable. So you might have uh, been hearing about this word vulnerability uh, a bit lately. You know, we have Brene Brown, who's uh, an academic from University of Houston. She's kind of made vulnerability have its, like, its moment, as they might say, you know, in the culture. Here's a quote from her. In our culture, we associate vulnerability with emotions we want to avoid, such as fear, shame, and uncertainty. Yet we too often lose sight of the fact that vulnerability is also the birthplace of joy, belonging, creativity, authenticity, and love. Now, some of you guys like this thing called the Enneagram. It's like a personality thing. Um, I'm type eight, which is the challenger or the protector, depending on like if you like eights or not. We won't really go, get into that. Um, but one of the things that eights detest is vulnerability. 
partly because we were forged by some kind of trauma or struggle, some kind of happening, usually when we were very young, that was extremely vulnerable. And so we get allergic to it and say, if only we can be strong for myself and for others, then I can get through this thing called life. And that's what we do. We don't like talking about it. I'm giving a message on it right now. But we don't usually like talking about it. Because it's hard, right, to be vulnerable. And yet so many times in the scriptures, we see that God invites us to a place of vulnerability. Because Brene Brown says this about people, that it's really when you're vulnerable that people can make authentic connections with you. And that veneer, that place of strength, that posturing, shoulders are usually up with that, right? It, it, it always makes us less relatable. It, it makes us people that we can't really connect with. I say sometimes Jesus saves the real us, not the fake us. Jesus died on the cross for like who we actually are. Your mask, he didn't die for that. The way that you cover up things, he didn't die for that. But who you really are, that's the authentic place, not just of connection with other people, but I think even with God. Look at these scriptures. It's just a sampling. There's way more. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. The psalmist saying to God, there's like a depth in me and there's a depth in you. That's where we connect. The psalmist saying, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him, speaking as God. And here we go. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You might be like, well, I don't know what I'm talking to God about. If the life is okay, I'm fine. But there's something about this authentic place of deep vulnerability. Look here, even when we're not asking God for anything, it just says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's drawn towards it. He moved towards it, as if it's water coming down and just falling on the lowest place you have, the lowest place you'll allow God to go in your life. That's how deep he is. Jesus saying in his adult ministry, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Why would we take that invitation? Only if we're vulnerable and realize that it's worth meeting God there. I mean, I could go on. Think about the stories, the parables of lost things, lost coin, lost sheep, celebrations after you lose something, not shame because you lost it. The story of a lost son who loses everything, his wealth, his identity. And then he says, I think I just need to go back and be vulnerable and say to my, my, my dad, hey, can I just be like the herders? Can I just be like the servants? That's better than the way I'm living. And what does the dad do for those of you that know the story? He runs, robe and all, getting it dirty with probably pig slop along the way, and embraces his son. His son moved just a step in vulnerability, and the master who represents God ran towards him, saying, yes, welcome home, son. It's a beautiful story, but it doesn't mean much if it's not our life, if we're not willing to be vulnerable like that. Deep cries out to deep. When we do these acts of coming towards God in lowness, he comes towards us. As we consider how we might become vulnerable through the vulnerability that God displays in the incarnation, let's respond in three ways. This is how we'll spend the rest of our time. Three ways. Worship, 
witness, and receiving. We can respond to the vulnerability of Jesus by worshiping him all the more. That's one way that worship works. God makes himself vulnerable by joining our worship, even the song we did at the beginning, by joining us, even if we might have been a little bit distracted, even if we might have been a little bit rushed or late to come in here, even maybe if we were scared or kind of even unwilling to worship, or maybe some of us were truly receptive, God still dwells with the people of God. He chooses to show up, to be present to us. God joins us. Mary's neighbors didn't know the Son of God would move in next door, but he did. And they probably heard pretty ordinary cries. Like maybe they were heavenly or like did something amazing, but my guess is they were just ordinary. Just a baby crying. Probably woke them up at night. And then they probably witnessed a very kind child. Perhaps an unusually helpful teenager. An adult carpenter who would aid them with their homes. And then finally a preacher that came by sometimes announcing God's kingdom come. Our lives are a lot like Mary's neighbors. We don't have to do anything. But Jesus makes himself at home nearby. Just waiting for us to get curious about his cries, about his kindness, his help, what he can build, how the kingdom might come. And one way to respond to worship, and one way to respond is to worship God, this God that's drawing near even when we don't draw near to him. That's sometimes like the best times in worship where you're just like kind of maybe blanking out. All of a sudden you remember, we're worshiping God, like the living God, like yes, Jesus. We actually didn't know what the song lyric was before, right? But we're just like, this is worship. And we can get swept in it because God is present to us here. We can also respond by being a witness. It's another active form of worshiping God. It doesn't have to be music, but it's being a witness. And here's how Jesus' cousin John does that. Back into the text in verse six, verse uh, 5 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. God hopes it will respond to this vulnerable light that's Jesus, the life of the world, by becoming a witness to the light. We don't have pressure to be the light anymore. Do you guys see that? We just have to be a witness. That's the role of the word. That's the light. That's the role of the life of Jesus. The light of humanity. The pressure is off, guys. We just have to witness to what Jesus has already done. Witness what Jesus is doing. And testify to what we know and trust Jesus will do. What does a witness to the light do? For John, Jesus' cousin, it looked like saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near, it's coming. He didn't have to prove it. He didn't have to make it happen. He didn't have to conjure it. He didn't have to produce it. He just said, it's at hand, it's coming, it's nearby. We can do that. Telling people then to change their mind about God because God was closer than they could ever imagine. And the things they were ashamed of, the things they have done wrong, their sin, it was easier to turn from than they ever imagined through the help of Jesus. 
and the leadership of Jesus in their life. Part of this witness is to testify. I think part of being a good witness is knowing this story. This story of a vulnerable God and the story of a vulnerable people. Sometimes it's hard to translate that to others. Again, who thinks God is vulnerable if they don't know this big story of the Bible? I think if you just approach someone, even if they don't believe in God, hey, do you think God's vulnerable? Well, no, right? If he's real, didn't he create everything? Isn't he all-powerful? It's hard to know that God's vulnerable without knowing this big story. Follow me here for a second. There's different kinds of light, right? Like, if you're in the dark, sometimes you want the most light possible. I think about stadiums that have these floodlights that not only make things clear, but they artificially kind of have this impossible light to them. I love them during the event, don't get me wrong, but when I leave the stadium and it's night, it's disorienting. It wasn't really that bright after all. I was just fooled for a bit. Even your eyes like react to it, right? The little spots you get, we're like, wait, what just happened? I don't think that impossibly bright light of a stadium is always the best metaphor for the light of God. My experience of God is rarely floodlights. I don't know about you. In the scripture, it says this. Your word, God, is a lamp unto my feet. Something closer to this, like a, a finger lamp. Like you would actually use it to just light one step in front of another. And it does light things up. But it's not a floodlight. It's not a stadium light. And you might not see everything, but you do see that next step. You see what's right in front of you, but maybe just that, only that. Your word is a lamp for my feet, maybe just your feet, but it's still a light onto your path. This feels much more like my own experience with God and my experience coming alongside others to be a witness to God. I don't see the whole path, my own or others, but I do see a step and then a next one. And then maybe something that'll be important someday that's a step in the future. I don't, it's not even like a linear step, but it's out there. And certainly a step that can light up and pierce any darkness, that light that can do that. Being a witness might be simply just giving people around you, your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers, your, your friends' kids, just one step, one step closer to a vulnerable God even if that's a bit vulnerable for you, right? Like you're just giving them one step and it's vulnerable to even talk to people about God sometimes, but also probably, especially so if you're like, wait, I'm just giving them a step? Like God doesn't do the stadium lights when I like take a risk and talk to my friends? Guys, I don't think so. But there is a step though. Telling someone that God loves them, praying for someone when they're sick, expressing hope for someone's tough situation, sharing about your own experience with faith, or maybe a way that Jesus is presently showing up in your life. These are all very ordinary ways, vulnerable, but ordinary ways, to provide just a small step for someone, to light their path a bit more. Think about how you got into this room, like this room today. Like, not that you walked or you drove or you biked, right? But, like, think about how you actually are, are are here as a churchgoer, even if it's just a churchgoer for just one day. Didn't mean to scare anyone. Like, you're like, just, it was one time, guys. Like, but you came to church once, right? Was it an invitation? Was it a friend who shared their faith with you? 
a parrot that helped teach you the love of God? Perhaps a strange experience with God or spirituality that made you curious? However long any of us have known God, it doesn't take that long for you to think about one small step, one small choice in your life or your friends or your parents that might have complicated the way this candle of faith has been passed down to you, right? Like if you grew up like with someone there, oh yeah, they're definitely the person that told me about Jesus. Well, just think about their story. And if that one thing just had maybe gone differently in their life, all of a sudden the way it came down to you might have changed. It's actually pretty vulnerable when you think about how the story from Jesus was passed down from people to people, household to household, and somehow it's found you. Somehow you're either considering it or have received it, but it's through people really saying yes. And if they didn't, maybe it wouldn't be a candle that you have in front of you. It's a vulnerable thing to try to follow this candlelight God, not the floodlight God. God is vulnerable. Increasingly so because we have been made vulnerable by the ways we often turn away from God. God is vulnerable, and so are we. As God moves into our neighborhood, God's vulnerability helps us turn back to God. And then guess what? We become vulnerable for the sake of others, to witness, to share, even as we live lives of worship. Let's finish up the scripture. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and even though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The sad part of the Christmas story is that we celebrate the birth of a man who was eventually slain unjustly. Even though he was the light of the world, even though he had witnesses, even though they were lighting up the next step for many, enough people rejected him. Enough people didn't recognize him. And frankly, enough people just didn't care enough to keep him from being killed. The vulnerability of Jesus' birth in a manger continued with his vulnerability with his death on the cross. But that wasn't the end of the story. That didn't snuff out his light. It grew brighter. As Jesus defeated death, as Jesus defeated the dark, the light of the resurrection is our story, but it's still not the story of floodlights. We're going to just do a little experiment here, a Christmas experiment, and get some help with you holding guys. I might need some help. Try the other side. Try the other side. Vulnerability, right? Other side. Let's go. Okay. Micah, you can do it. So it's going to get dark. Sorry, I didn't warn you guys enough.
walking with the candles, just lighting up their feet. Sometimes our faith just looks something more like this. Some of you guys are like, man, I want a candle. I, I get it. But sometimes we don't have one. We just have the light of someone else's. This is a story of candles being lit up one by one, household by household, town by town, even nation by nation. In the same way that small things grow, little candles multiply and they become a force of light. Think about if you just had a candle next to you and you were just waiting for someone to light it up. And if you come to our Christmas Eve service, you'll see this more as everyone lighting up a candle. But look just how bright. What is it? Just six? How they light up the space. That's our witness. Vulnerable as ever, but brighter and brighter still. Can we receive this kind of light as the light of the world? This candle witness that we hold on to when times get tough. Where a floodlight would blind us and we can put our lights back on. We can blow out the candles. So where floodlight might blind us, these aren't exactly floodlights. I could do the lights around, but I don't want to hurt you guys like that. And where artificial nature of the lights would offend us in our dim situation, a candle says there's a next step for us as we meet God in our shared vulnerability. Back to the story from earlier before we wrap. The second day of Joy's NICU life, I noticed myself deteriorating. I was snapping at the nurses publicly, to Tina's chagrin. I was criticizing them privately. Still, Tina didn't like that. She's like, this doesn't help anyone. Why didn't, know, why didn't anyone know anything that was happening to my daughter? Why wasn't anyone being responsive when I had like specific questions about like, when can we go home? Like, when can Joy meet Zoe? When can we like actually get out of here? I noticed kind of I was trying to do things on my own. Like I saw um, the, the oxygen meter because there was a, a problem with like a heart thing and a lung thing and it was just getting the numbers up. And all of a sudden we saw the numbers go from like 94 to 95 to 96. And it was so exciting. We thought, man, if it just keeps going, we'll get out of here. And the woman came in and said, you know that machine's broken, right? The numbers are always 10, uh, 10 above. It's, so it's really lower. I'm like, are you joking me? And the way she said it, again, I wasn't on my best behavior then. We were devastated. We didn't know how dim our candles were then. I didn't like register, like, is there any light at all? But that was a Sunday. And you all were praying. You guys were actually praying for us. In my journal that day, I thanked God for the cloud of witnesses who could be a witness to the goodness of God when it was harder for me. I'm not sure how much prayer happened in that hospital room, but you all here with worship and lights and celebration because it's Advent, we're praying using the strength of your faith when we might not have had much our own. When I couldn't pray that much, you all as the church chose to enter into my vulnerability, into our vulnerability, and pray with us. And that night, after around 36 hours after Joy was born, we finally moved into a regular room with Joy in our arms, And before I left that room, because of what my parents have taught me, what this church has taught me, I got down on my knees in that NICU room, and I said, thank you, God, for saving my daughter's life. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to leave out of here. 
And God, I pray right now that anyone that's ever been on this floor, this NICU floor in this room, anyone that's going to be in this room, anyone that's going to be in this entire area, God, I pray right now that they would know that you love them, that they would know you rescue, that they would know that you are a God of a small little candlelight that does amazing work in the darkness, however dark their situation is. And I broke down in tears. And Tina did too, probably. (laughs) And then Tina laughed at me. But it's important that we acknowledge our candle faith, that we don't wait for a floodlight. We don't think that's better, because sometimes a candle is all we have, and God does miracles with it. God is vulnerable, and so are we. And God has moved into our neighborhood so we can testify to the light of Jesus, to the light of our new neighbor. Jesus came to that which was his own. and In the past, others have rejected him. But today, we have a choice. We don't have to be like the people of the past. You don't even have to be like the people of your own past, your family, or even you five minutes ago. You before you came to service. You don't have to be like that person anymore. Because you can embrace something that's real, which is a savior, the light of the world, who came into this earth for you, who died for you, and wants to set you free. Today we have a choice when we think about these three questions. Today will we worship? Will we witness? Will we receive Jesus today? So here's a few invitations as we close. The first is to worship. Now I want to do something that you could think is cheesy, and that's fine if you do, because I I know it would be powerful. But take your favorite song this Christmas season, a hymn, a song that reminds you of Jesus. I'm thinking less Rudolph, no no offense, but more, you know, the O Holy Nights. Your, Your favorite song, no matter if you're a Christian or not, you know, you've been to church a lot or not, I want you to play it every day of this season. Or read it. That might be more helpful for you every day of this season. And make it a prayer. Spend time with Jesus in it. It's so easy to have these hymns kind of just pass us by. It's Christmas. Like, that's what we get. Like, Christmas time. (laughs) But we don't get the words and what they're actually saying. We'll have a chance, I think, in a few minutes to sing some of those songs. You can see, as you see the lyrics, like, what God might be doing is you contemplate that. So take either a song that we're singing uh, in a little bit or maybe a song that's one of your favorites. Read it. And ask God to come near to you and wait for the Spirit's presence. And it's okay if you just feel okay or peaceful. Just trust that God's doing something good in you each day as you get closer and closer to Christmas. Maybe that could be a practice for you later on, whether it's a Christmas song or another one. The next one is to witness. To make an invitation this month that may light someone's path. You could invite them to one of our Christmas services or events. For parents, there's a lot of great events for kids you can invite uh, your kids' friends to. Maybe it's just practically serving someone or praying for them. Maybe it's telling someone your own story of faith, why this season actually means something to you. You could choose to do that, even if it's vulnerable for you. And the last one is to receive. Decide to say yes to Jesus. And this might be saying yes to following Jesus for the first time. 
Maybe that's your step. You've been here at this church or in this room, or maybe this is your first service. And something in you is saying, I want to say yes to this light, to this little candle. I thought it had to be a big floodlight. If it just has to be small, I can do that. I think I might have already done it. If that's you, uh, I'd love to pray with you. We're going to have a time of prayer later. Our prayer minister would love to pray with you. I'll be in the back of the room, and feel free to find me, and I can uh, share a little bit more of what a next step might be for you as you say yes to Jesus for the first time. But also might be saying yes again, this time to a vulnerable Jesus that wants your vulnerability. Maybe you didn't really know that before today, or you need to hear it right now. So think about a situation where Jesus' vulnerability challenges you, and then say yes. It could be like me going back to a situation. That story in the NICU, that challenged me. It challenged me then, but it challenged me as I think about it now. And sometimes I have to say yes to that Jesus that rescued me there. And maybe for you, there's a situation in your life where you're like, oh, if I say yes to that, like I need uh, a strong but vulnerable Jesus. So think about what's a situation that's tough in your life that will require you to be a little bit vulnerable and then receive the yes of Jesus and receive uh, your own courage that God gives you as you say yes again. Sometimes we need to hear that word from earlier that Jesus is this baby Jesus that's crying out. And instead of saying, what's wrong? How can I fix it? How can I help? We just need to join Jesus in crying. Join Jesus in lament, as Shirley taught us last week. Join Jesus in just saying, we don't know what to do. We're right here with you. Saying, no words, but crying with him. Maybe it's a little later where we can just cry out to our parent like Jesus did. Jesus saying, Mama, Daddy, right? Maybe that's what we have to do, just call for our loving parents. Maybe it's Jesus learning as he grew up. Jesus learning and growing in faith. Maybe it's Jesus just doing regular, ordinary things like building, like carpentry. We just say, we're going to do the regular things of our life, but do it in the name of Jesus. Or maybe it looks like us getting excited about some part of our faith and going on mission like Jesus did at 30, saying, I'm going to say the kingdom of God is here. And if we're going to join Jesus on all that journey, then we indeed need to follow him all the way into the cross. We sacrifice as he sacrificed his life. That takes us to communion. You guys should have elements on your chair. If you don't, you can raise your hand, and Patrick or one of the other staff will give you communion. In communion, we remember that God not only came to the earth as a baby, vulnerable, but he laid on the cross naked, almost as naked as he probably was as a baby, bleeding, dying, all for the sake of love for us. And in communion, we remember that vulnerability, and we say that we're committed to be willing to be vulnerable like that, to be willing to sacrifice, to be willing to be laid bare as we draw closer to Jesus, but also as Jesus calls us to do real things in the world that might make us uncomfortable, that might make us vulnerable, that might bring us suffering. But do we have a yes for Jesus? So let's take communion asking Jesus to make us open. Open to that. You can take out the bread and take in the bread, the body of Christ. 
And then take the cup, the blood of Jesus shed for you, and take it in. Jesus, be here in this time. Would our worship be uh, for you? Would your worship be a place where you would show up, God, in our lives? Where you would make yourself known? Indeed, where you would neighbor us, where you would make a home here. And no matter what we think, no matter uh, how we feel towards you, how on the cusp of something we are, we just pray that you, God, would come and draw near to us. The God who draws near, and would that move of your generosity and your spirit cause us to draw near towards you. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.